I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Food, glorious food. For many of us, it is the reason we toil away in our gardens week on week. But whilst the warmer months may have come to an end, it doesn't mean we have to throw in the trowel just yet. In fact, with the help of the right tools and knowledge, you can keep the harvest going well into autumn and winter. And if you're interested in extending the season, overwintering, or just have no clue what to do in your greenhouse now your tomatoes are done, we're here to give you some ideas this week. Matthew Oliver will be talking us through his process at the Grand Octagonal Glasshouse at RHS Garden Hyde Hall, with a focus on overwintering chilies for an abundance of fruit next year. If you're looking for a bit of inspiration on how to eat your produce, we'll be meeting Emmy-nominated TV chef Ching Hee Huang to hear about the flavours she's been playing with at Wisley's World Food Garden, ahead of her involvement in the RHS's Festival of Flavours. And we'll be heading down to my fellow presenter Gareth Richards' allotment in Peterborough to hear his excitement for sowing winter salads. Welcome to Gardening with the RHS, with me, Guy Barter. Now, let's start with Matthew Oliver. He's a horticulturalist working on fruit and vegetable growing in a rather special environment. I'll let him explain. The main central feature of the veg garden at Hyde Hall is this bespoke octagonal glass house. It's 14 metres across and about seven metres tall with a bell tower on the top, so it's quite a striking feature. There's a central pathway with beds either side, so we're growing in the soil under glass, not in pots or grow bags or containers, anything like that. It's very much a display house, so I'm trying to make it look impressive in there and walk in and go, wow, this is amazing. In the summer months, we grow tomatoes, lots of chilies, we do aubergines, melons, cucumbers, also do watermelons, which is a little bit different do okra as well, which you can grow in the UK, but is a challenge. And then I throw in a few other real oddball things like we do peanuts, I do yard long beans in there, and sesame I do as well. That's a challenge. If anyone wants to grow sesame, test the limits of their horticultural abilities. That's one worth trying, but definitely on the glass for that. As we go into the autumn, normally I would do an October sowing of 
winter salad leaf, like the oriental salads. So I do things like lots of different types of mustard leaf, pak choys, things like mizuna, mibuna. So spicy salad leaf that will grow all winter. We do overwinter a lot of plants as well. They'll tend to come out and we would overwinter them in our polytunnel, completely the same conditions as perhaps a home domestic glass house if you're keeping it frost free. So if you've got any tender plants that don't like the cold, if you've got a frost free conservatory or greenhouse, you can certainly bring those in and keep them alive. They won't necessarily be growing, but keep them alive to grow again next year. Doing that with chilies has got more popular. So there's four or five different species that we'd grow. The Bacartan ones are overwinter a little bit better and they're quite late to fruit. So if you can overwinter a plant, they're more likely to get a good crop off of it the second year. But you can overwinter all chilies. We can do it because the way I grow them in our glasshouses, I plunge plant them, which is we're growing a chili in a pot and then we plant the whole pot or plunge the whole pot into the soil bed. And that means at the end of the year, you can just lift the pot out of the ground, move it to wherever you want it to move it to. And it also helps reduce the size of the plant. So therefore it's easier to overwinter. You're not trying to overwinter a massive, great big shrub of a chili and they're not getting any root disturbance, which they'll hate in the autumn as well. So that's how we do it. Just lift the pot out of the ground, if you want to overwinter them, then perhaps strip all the fruit off and all the leaves off, give them a cut back, so prune them back to a couple of pairs of leaves, maybe a couple of pairs of like dormant buds if you've stripped all the leaves off, and then you want to keep them dry-ish, don't let them dry out completely. So it's one of those gardening phrases, moist but not wet comes in, and it's only, only uh, the eye of experience can tell. You have to go through it to tell exactly what that means, but don't let them dry out completely. Don't let them go dusty and parched, but through the winter, maybe a light watering once a week, once a fortnight, something like that would be about right. And you're aiming to keep the plant dormant and alive, ready to grow again next spring when the temperatures and light levels start to increase so yeah the main things to remember are don't overwater them strip all the leaves off and give them a prune back the reason why you would try to overwinter a chili is because you're then starting next spring with a larger plant that's ready to come into growth and therefore it's going to flower and fruit earlier in the summer for you so you'll get a longer picking season they'll come in to fruit earlier and if we have a poor summer then you're more likely to get ripe fruit whereas if you were growing from seed each year the plant's got an awful lot of growing to do before it'll even flower and fruit and ripen so the advantage of overwintering them is you get a greater weight of harvest off of them essentially and also you'll be growing from a bigger plant. You know, you can overwinter chilies for multiple years. Essentially, each year it get bigger and bigger and bigger. The bigger the plant you get, the more flowers, the more fruit, the more harvest off of them. That's the main advantage of overwintering them, just earlier and get more. I've grown such a huge range of chilies over the years, and I put my hands up and admit I'm not a massive chili eater. I, <laughs> I like a bit of heat in my food, but I'm not like the chili geeks out there that want to blow your head off with them. The ones I've grown this year in the glass house at work, I've concentrated more on the smaller, 
like pot varieties. So a lot of the ones that have been awarded the Award of Garden Merit, the AGM, they tend to stay small. You can grow them in a pot, a windowsill, or in the garden, or on the benching in a glass house. So they're easier to manage plants. They produce a lot of small fruit, so you can be picking off them a long time, and they tend not to be like the real mouth burners. They're a mid-range chili. So they're the ones I've grown this year. Prairie Fire's a good one. You're only talking maybe 30 centimetres tall maximum. So they're easy to grow in a small pot and move around and find the right space for them. If you're really into your chilies, you can go out and hunt down some of the real hot ones or the rare varieties, things that are difficult to buy. And that's where the overwintering might come in again, where if it's seed that's hard to track down, if you can keep it plant alive for longer so perhaps your real real hot ones the carolina reapers of this world in terms of growing they don't make the best plants they're a bit tall straggly poor habit to them the fruits don't look particularly beautiful and they don't produce masses of them but what you do get is that super super heat out of them you know that real high up on the scoville unit scale so if you want to grow those ones that's where perhaps the overwintering would come in again because if you can grow a bigger plant over multiple years then that's your way to get beyond just a meager harvest in the one year i would say Thank you, Matthew Oliver. So remember to keep your chilies going, move them inside in the pot, prune or strip the remaining fruits and leaves off, and keep them moist but not wet. I've always found it quite difficult, actually. I tend to treat my plants too kindly, give them too much water and leave too many leaves on, and they just really don't like it. You have to be harsh, as Matthew advised. It's a great shame. Most tender plants, like sweet peppers, aubergines and tomatoes, you really can't overwinter. You have to start again each spring from seeds, and of course the small plants take a long time to grow, so chilies are really obliging. Um, you might try bacella, a kind of tropical spinach, which is a tender plant you can keep indoors over winter, but that's about it really. On the plus side, a lot of other tender vegetables, like ochre and yakon, for example, can be kept over winter as a tuber, so they're off to a flying start in the spring. Matthew mentioned plunge planting, simply putting pots into the ground and then lifting them out again at the end of the season. Even if it's not widely applicable for vegetables, it's a very useful gardening technique for any tender plants, like cannas and dahlias and things like that. Chilies, of course, are a core component of lots of cuisines around the world and are certainly familiar to our next guest. Ching Hee Huang, MBE, is a chef loved internationally for her brilliant take on Chinese cookery through TV programmes, books and for her involvement in a number of campaigns and causes. Increasingly, her focus has shifted towards plant-based cooking and the popularity of her most recent Sunday Times bestseller, Asian Green, everyday plant-based recipes inspired by the East, signifies a widespread interest in a healthier and planet-conscious diet. This year, Ching has been invited to take part in the inaugural RHS Festival of Flavours, a series of events marrying growing and eating from the end of September and throughout October, where top chefs will cook up dishes in live demonstrations made of ingredients picked fresh from the RHS gardens. 
Ahead of her upcoming festival appearance, we caught up with Ching to hear about a visit to the World Food Garden at Wisley for inspiration. Hi everyone, I'm Ching He Huang. All my friends call me Ching. I'm a TV chef, food writer. You might have seen some of my shows on the telly. Yeah, and I love Chinese food. I'm obsessed with Chinese food. My food style is definitely fresh from the farm, if possible. It's using local organic ingredients and turning it into the most delicious Chinese food possible. So I grew up on my grandmother's farm back in Taiwan. So I would see her just grow vegetables, pick them fresh from the farm. We actually had a bamboo farm and an orangery. It was a pleasure just seeing all of that and that inspires me today. So I've always tried to inject the ethos of using fresh local ingredients, seasonal ingredients into my cooking and just being carefree, you know, and relaxed. If you don't have an ingredient, you could just substitute it. In fact, that's what makes it more fun and interesting. I'm really excited to be part of the RHS Festival of Flavours. I love RHS Wisley. I love everything that RHS does and stands for. And I just love the ethos of using or trying to inspire people to grow their own food. I have a small plot in my garden, which I inherited as well. And I'm always thinking about ways to make it a bit more exciting and different every year. Yeah, such a great festival to be involved in. And I can't wait to demo and cook on the 13th of October. So I was at RHS Wisley the other day and it was so brilliant to see the incredible array of produce growing there. I was so surprised because ingredients actually that I thought are technically could only be grown in the East is actually possible in the UK, which makes it so exciting. I mean, you have ingredients like bottle gourd, for example, sugarcane. Uh, you know, I grew up in Taiwan munching on sugarcane, trying to get the juice out of it. Ingredients like that and an array of different varieties of chilies. It was just so brilliant to see. And leafy greens like tatsoi, Chinese cabbage. I mean, Chinese cabbage originally, what I know of, someone might correct me, it comes from technically northern China, you know, uh, Shandong province where they make a lot of kimchi and pickles. And there was this gigantic, you know, Chinese leaf being grown in Wisley, just half an hour from where I live, which is incredible. Really tender leaves, pale green, bright, plump. And uh, it was Pav, Pavlina, the grower, that showed me around. It was her, you know, she's kind of in charge together with a lot of volunteers there. Worked so incredibly hard to make this the most beautiful edible garden that's also functional as well. And she talks about functional as in that it looks pretty, you know, in terms of the colors and the vibrantness of everything. But I think it was just so fascinating for me to see because I was just so shocked at the amount and the variety of produce there. It's so beautiful. It's literally, I think, like a heavenly garden. I just wanted to go up and just pick everything, <laughs> start eating and cooking with it. But um, yeah, I'm gonna have to wait till the 13th of October and also give the other chefs an opportunity to use the ingredients as well and not hog it all to myself. 
I'd be so happy to share a dish that inspired me when I was walking around the World Garden the other day. I was so surprised to see Ta, which is like nine pagoda basil that was in Mandarin, but nine pagoda basil has this lovely aniseedy sweet flavor and aroma. And in Asia, it's used in a lot of curries, especially in Taiwan where I come from. My grandmother used to just stir fry it with eggs and it's the most delicious combination. So I would suggest, you know, just a hot wok or a pan with a little bit of peanut oil or rapeseed oil, and then just beat three eggs lightly, pour it in, and then just move your wooden spoon around just to lightly scramble. Then take a few of these pagoda basil and just literally break it in, throw it in and then just let it lightly wilt. Sprinkles a little bit of salt, sea salt flakes, uh, or you can use a little bit of light soy sauce, a few dashes. And then uh, if you like a little bit of a kick, maybe some dried chili flakes, or you know, if you're really into your cooking, you could get the sashimi pepper flakes, the Japanese sashimi, the small chili flakes and put it on top and then literally spoon it out and it would be the most fragrant, aromatic, layered, full of incredible flavors. It'd be so delicious for your breakfast. You get the aniseedy notes, peppery notes from the pagoda basil. You'd get the sweetness of the egg, the fluffiness, a little bit kick from the salt and some kick of the spice. It's just honestly, so simple and delicious. That just put on some sourdough bread or you know your favorite toast delicious maybe a few slices of avocado on the side if you want if you if you like that kind of thing <laughs> really excited to be at festival of flavors you know come down come and visit wisley check out the world garden come and see what i cook up or walk up and listen bring some books i might sign them for you and just have some fun. It'd be such a great day out. So I can't wait to see everyone. Zaijian from me. Bye-bye. Until next time. The RHS Festival of Flavours will be coming to RHS Gardens in Bridgewater, Hyde Hall, Rosemore, Wisley and Harlow Carr from 30th of September to the 23rd of October. As she said, Ching will be at Wisley on the 13th of October and other chefs involved in the festival include Asma Khan and Raymond Blanc alongside a host of others showcasing cookery from around the world. If you want to find out how to get tickets, read the show notes for a link. Now, continuing our push to get you growing your own throughout winter, let's talk about salads. Whether you're getting winter greens in the ground now to get them established or looking to the greenhouse for extended season shelter, there's loads you can be doing throughout October. Which is why my co-presenter and friend Gareth Richards took his microphone to the allotment to talk us through what he's doing to plant up winter salads. I've just got to the allotment. It's a beautiful autumn morning. Slanted light. There's a robin singing away in the buddleia. I'm heading to the greenhouse to sow some salads for the winter ahead. Now is a really great time to get a sowing in the greenhouse because that extra pane of glass really opens up a world of opportunity for you and you can have fresh herbs and salad leaves all winter long from a couple of autumn sowings. Salad rocket or wild rocket 
Both are brilliant crops to grow in the greenhouse over winter. If you sow them now, they won't run to seed too quickly and they won't really get flea beetle either. So it's a really good winter crop. Coriander as well. Coriander grows really quickly and it won't bolt. Like that's the problem when you grow coriander in the springtime, in the summer, it tends to run to seed really quickly. Fine if you want to have seeds as a spice, but if you want to have the lovely fresh coriander leaves to sprinkle on curries and things, then it's a bit of a problem. So it now, absolutely trouble-free, lovely thing to grow. Parsley, I always tend to just grow a couple of parsley plants in the winter. Now, spring onions or bunching onions, you can also sow those now. They'll be a bit slower. They'll probably give you a crop kind of next May time, just in time for when you want to plant the tomatoes. The other thing I'm going to be doing is when I put my onion sets in, in a few weeks time outdoors, if there's any left, I'll put them inside as well because they will grow away really, really quickly and give a, a really quick crop of spring onions just for a few leftovers. Then I'm going to be doing some Far Eastern greens, things like Mizuna, the purple frills, tatsoi, things like that, because these crops have a lovely kind of peppery flavour and they really pep up your winter salads. Same could be said for cress. Not many people grow it outside of some um, kitchen roll in, on a windowsill, but actually they're varieties that you can grow as salad crops and they add a wonderful punch to your winter salads. So I'm going to get sewing. So I'm just filling up some small module trays with compost. Good quality peat-free compost, always the way. And I'm just kind of pushing it down into the cells and then smoothing across the top. I'm not pushing too hard because what you want to do is you want to leave space so it's not too compressed. Put a little dimple in the centre of each cell with a couple of fingers so you have a nice little bowl almost in the top of the compost. This compost is quite moist already, so I'm not gonna water it first. And then you have your cells ready. I like to sow in cells because it just means that it's really, really easy to transplant. You can have a nice selection. I don't sow too much of any one thing at any one time, because the thing with salads is they tend to mature at once. So I'll probably do another sowing in kind of a couple of weeks time to kind of spread out my crop because you don't want to be sort of overwhelmed with stuff one week and then have nothing. These will hopefully, from a late September, early October sowing, they will crop probably by the new year, if not certainly into the latter part of January, when you might most appreciate having these things. Yeah, so I've put all of my, all of my modules into a big plastic tray with no holes in the bottom, so they're easy to water, easy to move around and uh, keeps them all in one place. The next thing I'm going to do is write some labels because I think this is really important personally because you kind of want a record, you know, you want to know what the variety is, what date you sowed it, so that if it works well, you can do it again. I'm just using little birchwood labels, they're like lollipop sticks because, you know, these are not long-lived crops. I'm not going to want to fish around for that label in a couple of years' time. Having a plastic-free label, I think, is a really, really good thing. Now, if the seeds are kind of all over the packet and you think you're going to lose some when you open it, just hold the packet at the top with one hand and then give it a little flick with the other and that should send all the seeds rattling to the bottom. And remember, the smaller the seed, the shallower you want to plant it. Generally, the rule is to cover seeds with about their own depth of compost. Now I'm going to cover up the seeds, 
Some of them, where they're really tiny ones, like the Rocket and the Claytonia, I'm just going to carefully bury them with the compost surrounding that little bowl, so kind of put the sides of the bowl back into the middle when they've been in that dip. The bigger ones, I'm going to just sprinkle a little bit of extra compost over them. So the bigger ones are things like coriander, the corn salad and the spinach. Now, spinach is a greenhouse grower's secret weapon in the winter because, you know, we all sometimes maybe get a little bit fed up of chard and all of the kind of winter cabbages and kales and brassicas. But if you grow spinach, sow it in late September, early October in a greenhouse and you will have lovely, soft, tender spinach leaves right from February through to about May time, depending on when they bolt. And that's a real bonus. Get you through the hungry gap and add a bit of healthy variety into our diets. Pea shoots are a, quite a fashionable salad veg at the moment. For good reason, they're really, really tasty, but they're also easy to grow. I bought some peas in the supermarket. Any kind of dried peas will do. Doesn't really matter on the variety and it's a lot cheaper to buy them in the supermarket or a local grocery store that way, rather than from a seed merchant. Quite traditionally, people grow them in bits of old guttering or seed trays and things. I'm gonna try and save on compost, and because they are so quick, you know, it's a big seed, so they get established really, really quickly, unlike something with a smaller seed that doesn't have quite the reserves. I'm gonna just basically do some little trenches between my tomato plants. You know, it's the last hurrah for the tomatoes, really. We've probably got another fortnight, maybe three weeks. And so I'm going to put some rows of pea shoots in between them and then hopefully by the time that it's time for the tomatoes to come out and the salad plants that I've just sown to go in, then the pea shoots will be ready to harvest. We'll do one quick chop and then put the rest on the compost heap. So I'm just going to dig little, almost like little, imagine having little gutters going through the soil. So it's only a couple of inches deep in straight lines so you can see where you've been. And then sprinkle your germinated peas in the bottom of this little trench and I like to cover mine in chilli powder. I get cheap chilli powder from the grocery store and basically that is to put the mice off because mice love peas just as much as we do and they will go nuts for them. I know this from bitter experience so yeah it's absolutely worth doing anything you can to prevent the mice from chomping on them and I think chilli is probably a bit kinder than any form of trap. You could sew them quite thickly. You know, they don't have to be beautifully spaced out because it's almost a bit like kind of growing cress, really, on, on a windowsill. You know, you're not you're not growing permanent plants. You just want to have that lovely kind of thick row of greenery to harvest from. So I'm sprinkling them out, a bit of chilli powder on top, and then I'm going to cover them with yeah, an inch or two of soil. Give them a good water, and they'll be away. Just going to water the trays in now, very gently. Put a rose on my watering can. They don't need to be sodden, just settle the compost around the roots. And we're done. So these plants will grow away quite quickly now. We're making the most of the last kind of warmth of the year. They'll really grow away over the next month or so. They have a little bit of a pause around December time. You might get some crops before Christmas and then come late January, early February when the light levels start increasing, they will really romp away and you'll have a greenhouse full of wonderful salads in March when there's very little else going on outside. 
It's really lovely to have these fresh salad leaves when your diet's full of winter soups and stews and things and everything's gone a bit stodgy to have something that's just so fresh and bursting with vitality and goodness. It's a really nice counterpoint to all of that kind of heavy winter food. I'm off now. I'm off back to work, back to the office. And I'll see you next time. Thanks to Gareth Richards there. And I hope we've left you with bucketfuls of ideas for the produce you can get growing, even as the weather starts to cool. I'm a big fan of winter salads. For the depths of winter, I've got white cabbage that can be chopped up to make cabbage salads, lots of celery, and of course I can grate my root vegetables. But between now and then, I've got a whole load of greens growing. And my favourites are chicory and endives. You can still put plants in now or you can grow them as mini leaves and they've got a kind of bitter taste. Relatively chewy compared with lettuce, but that's what you need in a strong flavoured winter salad. I must say I admire Gareth's ingenuity in trying to fend off mice with chilli powder. I do hope it works. Of course, you can get battery powered things that emit a ultrasonic sound. I think they work for a while too and they too could be put outside to try and fend off mice. Happily, I don't get any mice in my garden because I've got cats. Well, that's nearly it for this week's show. But there's still other things you can be doing in the vegetable garden, including planting onion sets for overwintering. They're special cultivars that will survive the winter and give you a lovely early crop of onions next June or July. It's nearly time to plant garlic and shallots, so you can get bulbs in for those. And in the middle of next month, you can plant broad beans, hardy broad beans that will crop next summer as well. And you can also try sowing some lettuces now. Lettuces sown now, for the right kind, like winter density, will survive the winter outdoors and then you can plant them out when it suits you and they'll form lettuce heads next April. A bit weather-beaten and chewy, but lettuce heads nonetheless. Elsewhere in the garden, it's time to start with a deadheading, dividing plants and, of course, harvesting all the apples, digging up the potatoes and getting the ground ready for next year, removing weeds, perhaps making compost to improve the soil with all the materials that you're gathering from the cleared beds. So that's it from me, Guy Barter. Until next time, goodbye. I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit 
prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced-rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.